The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. The dice hit the table with more weight than they should, and they roll well. Too well. I narrow my eyes as my opponent scoops up their winnings, but I hold my tongue and gesture for them to roll again. A suspicious thud precedes another winning roll. My patience wears thin. This description is I spot cheating during a dice game. A scene from Describe. Describe. Describe your world. Go to Describe.com slash RPGBot and use coupon code RPGBot5 for $5 off your first payment. Welcome to the RPGBot.podcast. I'm Randall James, your deceiving dice roller, and with me is Tyler Kamstra. Hi, everybody. And Ash Eli. Hey, guys. All right, Tyler, what's happening? Today, we are going to talk about success, uh, and not by cheating at dice rolls. <laughs> we are going to talk about success. Uh, we spoke about failure on a previous episode with uh, Colby from the Crit Fails podcast, uh, which is also where we met Ash. So we're going to talk about success and dice mechanics in tabletop RPGs. Like, what does success mean? How do you do it? How do different systems handle it? And uh, what do other systems, or what do various tabletop RPG systems do to make success interesting, uh, often beyond just the binary of success and failure? Yeah, I think for folks who have spent most of their time in 5e, like, Folks are used to this idea of binary success. Either I succeeded or I didn't. There was a you know there was a skill check. There was a DC that I needed to hit. Either I did or I didn't. And sure, we can reverse this by saying, well, 
you know, it's an attack or it's a saving throw. So who rolls changes? Uh, but I think we're really missing an opportunity to appreciate the wide world of degrees of success. Um, because so many things in real life are not binary. Like you don't, you don't either win or lose. Like sometimes you absolutely get stomped in the ground. Sometimes you're the person doing the stomping. And so I'm, I'm actually really excited to talk about this because I think a lot of these concepts, if we like them, we can occasionally bring them into other games that we're playing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There are different uh, systems that uh, use degrees of success or succeed at a cost and stuff like that. And I think those can be more interesting than just binary. So let's talk about what we mean by binary success first. So um, systems that use binary success, uh, D&D famously, more Borg. Uh, basically, binary success is you roll and you either pass or you fail. And what is interesting about that resolution is you want to succeed, you do not want to fail, and the consequences are just failure if you fail, and the benefit is just success if you succeed. So if I attempt to unlock a door, I either succeed or fail at unlocking that door, and that is all. Um, Typically, you will roll versus a target number, and if you meet or exceed that target number, you will succeed. This is pretty common in a lot of systems because it is very simple, D&D uses binary success because it is a simple resolution system. Like you had FACO in second edition, which was a mathematical nightmare, uh, very unapproachable, very difficult to use. And then third edition said just D20, add modifier, roll high. You're good. Very simple, very accessible. Um, the cons, it's kind of boring. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't leave like a lot of opportunities. So we're all used to the idea of like, you know, I have my saver suck spells. I have this like, okay, I'm going to deal my half damage um, so that I'm not wasting this gigantic spell slot on something that potentially can just completely fail. Yeah, exactly. But other systems give us degrees of success. Mm hmm. Yeah. So degrees of success are a thing in various systems. I've never seen two systems do them the exact same way, which isn't to say that that doesn't happen. I just don't know of two systems that use the same mechanism. So a degree of success is beyond just I have succeeded or I have failed. There's a linear how much. Pathfinder 2nd Edition was probably a, a very simple version of degrees of success. You have critical success, success, failure, Critical failure. Right. And and so just those four distinct possibilities and several features, uh, several abilities will explicitly call out like what is going to happen if you get a crit success. And it's usually put in terms of success and also this awesome thing. Same thing for failure. It's like, okay, on failure, this happens. On critical failure, it gets worse. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So uh, while not every system, I think, uses degrees of success in the same way, they tend to have similar kind of ways of approaching it. The most common that I've seen are those four different types. There's like really great success. There's just success. Then there's eh, failed, but not too bad. And then you, you really, you really messed up. And I, I feel like the best way to describe it is like, a sec- uh, the crit crit success is you just flat out succeed. A, a one level below that is you succeed, but bad thing happen. Uh, and then below that you fail, but not all bad. And then the last one is you just fail. That's a really inelegant way of putting it, but that's <laughs> the basic concept. Yeah. So so the trades here 
with compared to binary success failure is that degrees of success are more complicated and they require you to do more math than that simple like which of these numbers is bigger operation like humans are very very good at which of these numbers is bigger most people are very bad at subtraction it's like you're playing pathfinder first edition you roll a 23 against a dc of 11 how many like did i succeed did i critically succeed like that that one's pretty easy but the number scale in pathfinder can get super high so it's like okay i rolled a 47 the dc is 29 like where did i roll enough to critically succeed a lot of people just use a calculator and that's perfectly fine, but it does take more effort. I, I want to pause for a second. So in Pathfinder 2, uh, crit success is, did you roll plus 10 above the, the DC that you needed to hit? Crit failure is where you minus 10. Um, there's some modification to this, and we'll talk about that in a second. In Pathfinder 1, what was it? It was just binary success failure, just like uh, D&D 3rd edition and beyond. Okay, okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. And then I think... So when you're, we're talking about degrees of success, uh, the kinds of degrees of success that I think are most effective are, are those kinds of ones like Pathfinder 2E where you succeed by a numerical amount, not just like what you roll on the die. Because I think it, when you succeed a check by like 20, and it's the same result as if you rolled like five above it, that doesn't feel good. It feels like well, then why did I put so much effort into this if it's just, you know, I do as much success as the guy who's not trained in it just because he rolled really well. And I think that uh, systems like Pathfinder 2, Powered by the Apocalypse does something like this as well, um, where there's there's different degrees of success based on how high your modifier is and how high above the target roll that you rolled, which I don't, I, th- I think that's a good way of approaching it. Yeah. And then of course, that's not to say that uh, degrees of success is somehow magically a perfect system. I have seen some no. RPGs do it super badly, like uh, first edition dark heresy. Uh, it was a D hundred based resolution system so you would roll a d100 every time you do something you roll it against your uh your character's relevant stat plus modifiers um and then subtracted so like my character has a weapon skill of 23 i rolled like a 72 i clearly failed but by how much and like you have to subtract that and like no matter how far away you are from the number you still have to figure out how far away you got it from the, your target number to figure out your degrees of success or degrees of failure even worse if you were within 10 it was zero degrees of success or failure um which wasn't super clear and a lot of people got wrong and like they had multiple rpgs in this same core rule set they had dark heresy they had uh, rogue trader and then um death watch which was you play space marines and in death watch they changed the math so like that zero to ten was one degree of success and like that wasn't made super obvious so when you change systems and you're like why do all the degrees of success feel wrong wait okay so zero zero degrees of success in other words like it's a neutral result or like you're flatline successful if flatline successful and then like additional degrees of success could get you additional things so like if you fired an automatic weapon more degrees of success would get you more hits on the target okay so you're like your best case scenario was like i'm gonna get really close to someone with a gun and then shoot them with an automatic weapon and hit them a whole bunch of times because uh it's 
it's Warhammer. Everyone dies very easily. So, yeah, you go for broke. Um, but the, the map- meanwhile, you're sitting there with an abacus, like sliding the beads over. It's like, wait, just give me a second. I'm almost there. <laughs> yeah, God, exactly. my head hurts. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, so that, that wasn't a, a super great interpretation of like the degrees of success. Uh, yeah, it wasn't a super great interpretation of the degrees of success mechanic. Um, and a lot of times the, the benefits quote unquote of greatly succeeding were actually huge pain. Like uh, dark heresy had really elaborate critical wound tables. Like if you drop something below zero hit points, it wouldn't die. You would like do a thing on the critical injury table. And depending on how far they were down the track, different things would happen. Like a lot of the critical wound things were very flashy and spectacular and exciting, but they could also hurt you. So like I shoot a guy with a laser weapon, um, I get a bunch of degrees of success, so he takes a bunch of bonus damage, uh, falls way down the critical hit chart, and gets the one where the person's entire body catches on fire. They run in a random direction. They ran towards me, and everyone that they walk past takes fire damage. I have now taken a critical injury. I am now on fire and do the same thing. Like My empire, entire party is now dead because I succeeded so well. Oh, I hate that. I hate yeah. that so much. Yep. That sounds great. Like, what are you talking about? Because <laughs> no, that's how it would go. Like, in the immediate moment that that person catches fire, you're like, I have won. I have succeeded. And then the body starts coming towards you and you're like, oh, no. <laughs> yep. Let, uh, me, let me rephrase. It's, it's good from a comical standpoint. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, oh no! Yeah, uh, Dark Heresy was a it was a game. The Warhammer 40, it was a game. Uh, the Warhammer 40k universe is very exciting to inhabit and play in, and every game of Dark Heresy I've ever run has been a huge amount of fun. But the mechanics have some very sharp edges. One of them is the core resolution system, which is not a ringing endorsement of an RPG. I never read Dark Heresy 2nd Edition, but boy, I hope it was better. (laughs) We're just going to do T20s. That that was the conclusion we came to. So there's also a special type of uh, success that I've really only seen so far in one game. Uh, It's what I would describe as choosing to succeed, which is um, Vampire the Masquerade. So in Vampire, when you fail a check, they use D10s for those who aren't aware. But if you fail a check, you can the DM will allow you to succeed, but at a cost. So they'll say, I'll allow you to succeed on this check, but uh, uh, I'm going to say that uh, going forward, you're going you're gonna to gain a hunger. Or maybe you, um, you hurt this person in a way you didn't intend, but you still achieve your goal. Something like that. And I think that is all. that can also be really flexible in a system where it doesn't just rely on roles. It relies more on players' choices and how they want to play their character. Yeah, I feel like a similar thing that we've talked about. So the One Ring 2nd Edition has this idea of a hope pool where if you, you you go to do some activity and you fail, you have the option of burning hope in order to potentially increase it to the likelihood that you would succeed. Mm -hmm. Um, But the hope pool is a finite resource, and if you run out of it, uh, bad things begin to happen to your character, and there's specific actions you have to take to rebuild that pool. Um, and so it isn't as cut and dry as binary success because you might do something you're not very likely to succeed, but you might, and then you might choose to spend your hope in order to make it happen. Yeah, yeah. El- elves are a really good example because they have just as their their heritage trait thing, they can just choose to take a magical success, quote unquote, which is just I spend hope 
and I succeed on this thing in a way that defies logic. Hmm. Um, but that the, is interesting. It, yeah, you look at that and think, wow, that's super overpowered. I can go into the game with like 13 hope and just like anytime something is hard, I just choose to magically succeed. But the problem with elves is they're really, really bad at recovering hope. So like if you burn through that very quickly, your character is in for an early retirement and then is going to live out for the rest of their, their like thousand multi-thousand year lifespan being very melancholy. Yes, yeah, so this is kind of what I was going to say. It's like for a race that lives that long, like they've learned the lesson not to have hope and certainly not to build it up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that does sound kind of like uh, hero points, which is an optional system that you can bring into the, uh, from the DMG. Like it's an option that they present to you or inspiration kind of. Yeah. Not really, but it's more just advantage rather than like just a flat like bonus. Well, it's like it's like bardic inspiration. Basically, you have your own pool of bardic inspiration, um, but then you need to find a bard to refill it. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, th- this is a a meta currency, quote unquote. We've done an episode on that, but it, yeah, basically, it's a pool of points you can spend to improve your dice rolls. A lot of systems have it; they're cool. Well, uh, one more thing that I just want to uh, uh, sh- I want to shout out Colby because you guys mentioned Colby at the beginning of this episode did failures. Uh, they actually created a character that manipulated uh, created a class that manipulates success from failure. It's called the Fool class. They just have a certain amount of fate points that they can do that guarantees them a critical success. But the more they use their fate points, because it is a finite resource that you cannot get back bad things start to happen to them, which I also think is a cool way of approaching success. Yeah, just burn that character hot. Yeah, it's super fun and really weird, but I, I think that I think that would be a cool concept for certain characters. And it's like, why yeah. are we bringing this fool into a dungeon? Just wait, it's going to be great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly what that class is like. It, cool. it worked for Darkest Dungeon. There's a class called the Jester, and their entire thing is you just shuffle the order of your party. So you get four Jesters in your party, and just you can never remember which one is standing in which order. It's very confusing. Yeah, it's a pretty common archetype throughout like fiction, the fool character, the person who is improbably lucky uh, and fails with style. As they would say. <laughs> so, <Yeah>. Peter Quill. <laughs> Bring it back to the last episode. Yeah. <laughs> so w- one of the things that gets me in, in 5e, and I, I want to talk about this compared to how it actually works in, in PF2, is... In our D20 systems, what happens when I roll a 1? What happens when I roll a 20? Because uh, I think people get confused about this all the time. Uh, we, we've all heard the jokes, and I think everybody, at least folks who listen to this podcast, understand. Like, you cannot roll a natural 20, add your persuasion modifier, and convince the king to give you the kingdom. Mm-hmm. You know, rolling a 20 does not guarantee success. You do not have a 1 in 20 chance of your wildest dreams coming true. That's it. Yeah. A lot of people get the effects of 1s and 20s in 5th edition wrong. Um, a lot of people have inherited that knowledge from previous editions. In in 3X, um, a natural 20 and a natural 1 both counted on saving throws and attacks, which is very important because even at exceptionally high level, you still had a 1 in 20 chance of failing a saving throw from some like first level wizard who's causing you trouble. Um, in 5th edition, the natural 1 and 20 only apply on attack rolls, 
One is an automatic miss no matter what. 20 is an automatic critical hit no matter what. So your level one character shooting at the Trask still has a 1 in 20 chance of scoring a crit. They're never going to hit otherwise, but they still have that 1 in 20 chance. Yeah, but it doesn't count towards saving throws. It doesn't count towards ability checks. Correct. Uh, and, and it's actually interesting because we were talking about the fact that there's no idea of a critical success in 5e. This is the one place where there is because on a on a crit hit, you get to double your damage dice. Yes. Yeah, and they, there are a handful of unique effects in 5th edition where rolling super, super low will uh, have some additional effect. Like if you're... If you're subject to a Medusa's petrifying gaze, if you fail by five or more, you get petrified faster. There's a couple of things like that. Okay. So in comparison, and I think where a lot of people get this idea of a critical success is from Pathfinder 1E, where you can critically succeed on a skill check. Like it doubles your ability score modifier when you do that. It's still not a guaranteed success, but it's still counted as like a critical success. And there is, uh, from my understanding, this could just be my homebrew because I don't, I haven't played Pathfinder One E enough, so you guys can correct me. But from what I have heard is that in Pathfinder, when you critical, when you roll a natural twenty on a save, it is an automatic success. Am I right about that? Yeah, yes. Um, I I don't remember about the like doubling your ability score thing. Maybe that's a rule I just never noticed. Yeah, no. Apparently, that's a, that's a pretty core rule. Um, huh. and that's and that's also what makes critical. Uh, I think you still have to roll to confirm, like you would do with a um, <laughs> really? with an attack. Yeah, <laughs> that might just be my homebrew, my 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 my. my particular campaign so people can feel free to at me on that <laughs> yeah. i'm wrong but we'll, we'll um, get it fixed and added to the list <laughs> yeah but i do know yeah like in pathfinder 1e when you would roll a natural 20 you would roll again to confirm mm-hmm. uh and to see if you hit naturally and that's what makes the reason they did that is because critically hitting in pathfinder is incredibly brutal because you not only double the dice you double your ability score modifier for that yeah. and stuff yeah uh third edition three five pathfinder one they all do the same thing it's um you have to roll to confirm all critical hits because you can crit on more than just 20 just by changing your weapon like a scimitar crits on 18 19 or 20 you can get a magic uh you can get a magic enchantment for your weapon that doubles that so you can crit on six uh four uh so that you can crit on 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. So like yeah. six of your 20 numbers you can crit. And then like the you can also increase the multiplier. So you can have weapons that multiply your damage by like up to four or five times. So yep. like yeah, crits can get real nuts in uh, 3X. Uh, a, a lot more impactful than 5th edition. Yeah. And, and it sounds like it would also not be like a rare occasion where maybe it happens once per session, but actually every combat you expect to maybe have at least one crit. Yeah. yeah. Well, like, for instance, I'm playing a Mesmerist right now in uh, Pathfinder, and it's built around... He has a scythe, and scythes are so broken in Pathfinder because they on a crit, it's times four, not double, times four on all your dice rolls, which is insane. Mm-hmm. You just have to actually roll a natural 20 to make it happen. Yeah, sure. <laughs> anyway, a small thing to ask. So in, in Pathfinder uh, 2E, the way critical, or okay, let's say this differently, the way a natural 1 or a natural 20 affects something 
is that a natural 20 will raise the level of success no matter what. So let's say you're 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 fighting something, it's got awful, you're level one, you roll a natural 20, but you actually still would fail because you had a minus three modifier. It turns into a success. If you would have succeeded, that natural 20 turns into a critical success. Flipping it the other way around, let's say you're this high level thing and like, I don't know, a rabbit attacks you out of nowhere. <laughs> um, there's no chance it's going to hit at all except for, you know, you, you rolled a natural one. Now, what was a success moves to a failure or what might have been criti- critical success at least moves to success. Yeah. Um, and that does allow you to put certain things mathematically out of reach of other creatures. It's like your level 20 character who has insanely high AC, like let's say I have an AC of 50 at level 20 and some level one, Jesus. Yeah. Some level one, nobody runs up, tries to hit me with a stick and rolls a 20 Uh, with their modifier. That 20 would still be a critical failure. So it's upgraded to a failure. So they still miss, like, yeah. yeah. So the, the importance of the number scale being very, very different in PF2. And, and I think one more thing that's worth mentioning here is, like, where we talked about in 5e, on attack rolls, you can get automatic success, uh, exactly as Tyler said a second ago. In PF2, there is no guarantee of success on a 20 for anything. Yes. It's much more still- likely, but technically not guaranteed. So we've spent a lot of time talking about, right, we have the D100 system. We're all very familiar and comfortable with our D20 systems. Um, But in past episodes, we talked about a lot of games that don't follow any of this. Um, There's a lot of great dice pool games out there, and I think their mechanics are worth talking about, too. Yeah, dice pool, if you're not familiar with dice pool, it's called dice pool because you pool together a bunch of dice and roll them all at once. Um, So famous systems that use this, Alien, One Ring, Shadowrun... Um, I'm sure there are tons and tons of others that um, I'm not familiar with enough to talk about this. Uh, Fantasy Yahtzee. Flight, Star Wars, Yahtzee is arguably a dice pool system. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> the Yahtzee <laughs> RPG. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> it's it's 1960s uh, setting. I don't know if anybody... Yeah, anyway. <laughs> Look, there... Okay, super quick tangent. There, there are a couple RPGs that use a Jenga tower as the resolution mechanic, and I think I've mentioned this on previous episodes. But fear, right? Uh, dread, dread. Yeah, right. it's like uh, fear. It's like fear. Yeah. So you, it's fear adjacent. <laughs> to succeed, you move a Jenga piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you knock over the Jenga tower, you die. You can intentionally knock over the Jenga tower to succeed and then immediately die. Uh, but like. Speaking of using old games as a resolution mechanic, there you go. Yahtzee, Jenga Towers. I'm sure at some point someone will find a way to make Monopoly a resolution mechanic. Yeah, if, maybe if anybody's going to do it, it's going to be uh, your your capitalist <laughs> capitalist paladin. <laughs> money use money as a as a way of to, to, money is success. Yeah. Either you have it. Or you don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bribing the DMs, which really brings us back to our uh, you know, cheating and rolling dice. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so dice pools. Dice pools are great. Dice pools are awesome. Yeah. So th- there's um, there's basically two versions of how to handle dice pools. So there's the the addition version and the hits version. Um, addition is like I roll a, I roll all of these dice. 
and add up all of the numbers and then compare that to a target number. So uh, one ring does this, like I'm going to roll my D12 feet die and then all my D6 skill dice add up all the numbers and like that that determines whether or not I succeed. Um, and then there are some dice pools that have a concept of hits, which is like the die has one or more surfaces on the die that are a success for me. Um, I believe Shadowrun, it's five and six. Yeah. Um, so and then you also have the opportunity for glitches where if you roll a one, it, it's a glitch. And I think, yeah, let's talk about that in a second. There's some interesting things there. Okay, you might you might know that system better than me at this point. Um, but basically, you add up the total number of hits to try and meet or exceed a target number. But instead of just adding up, like, here's all of the pips on my dice, you have to roll hits. Yeah. Um, uh, some other systems that use uh, that concept are, uh, again, Vampire and Powered by the Apocalypse. Uh, Vampire does an w- interesting thing with this one. So it is like, so like they do a D10, so I believe success on that is a six or higher. Uh, and they do still have criticals, which is if you get like two tens. But they also have a different kind of critical called a messy critical. So in Vampire, you have your normal pool that you ba- like each of your abilities and your skills have a pip. And when you're rolling a, a skill check, you combine an ability score with a skill and those pips represent the amount of dice you're rolling. Uh, but you also have to factor in your hunger. So for every hunger that you get, you replace one of those die with a hunger die, special hunger die. So if you get two or more crits, uh, if you get a crit and one of them, uh, one of those tens is a hunger die, you get a messy critical, which is like you crit succeed, but you do it a little too well. It's sort of like uh, the beast of the vampire has taken over. Like you attacked, you 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 hit this guy really hard, so you're going to do a lot of damage. But you also ripped his throat out in front of everybody and broke the masquerade a little bit. <laughs> um, so I think that's an interesting way to um, add complications, even to crit successes. Um, it's not something that I I've seen other games really do. Now, that that is a really good example of uh, one of the things that can make dice pool systems interesting. So in addition to the binary success and the sliding scale of degrees of success, um, you can also have messy successes and failures. Um, so Shadowrun is just hits, failures, and then glitches, apparently. Um, one ring, uh, if you roll enough successes, like you, you get... Uh, if you roll elven symbols on your skill dice, which is the six face, um, you can spend those for additional effects, and they're all beneficial. Um, Fantasy Flight Star Wars is, in my opinion, the most interesting interpretation of this because all of the dice have like they'll have different symbols on them. Not all of the dice, I guess. Uh, there's successes, failures, uh, boosts, flaws. Uh, triumphs and um i'm forgetting the last one catastrophes i think like so there's all these different symbols that you can roll on the dice and this is this is why we frequently describe fantasy flight's dice resolution system as chicken entrails is because there's all these complicated symbols and until you play the game for a while like you can look at these dice and be like i think i succeeded but i don't know what these symbols mean <laughs> well no i think it's like a it's a reference to like the voodoo right like you know, 
anybody who is a novice at it would come in and see you looking into it and saying, ah, I succeed, but at a great cost to the party. Like that's exactly. <laughs> yeah. So like you can, you can dramatically succeed. Like I've got a ton of successes. Like this was, this was hardly a challenge for my character, but like, I had a red difficulty die and I rolled a catastrophe. And again, I'm forgetting what those are called. Um, I rolled a catastrophe. So like uh, something terrible happens. Like uh, like best case scenario is your weapon runs out of ammunition. Um, like worst case scenario is like, ah, one of my party members has been grievously injured or something like that. So adding in those additional possibilities with different kinds of dice, different symbols that can be on the dice adds a lot of uh, complexity to the role that can make things a little more interesting. than like, I succeeded really well, or I failed really well. So, so your memory for this, right? We have one axis, which is the actual action that we were trying to take and our level of success against that action. And then we have another axis, which is, something else right and this is what the dice pool is giving us is the opportunity to okay look you might succeed you might fail on the thing you were trying to do but something else of impact is going to happen so like a good example could be you know you you shoot the character you were trying to shoot uh and the laser goes straight through and puts a hole in the hull that's a catastrophe and now everybody's gonna have to deal with that but it also moves the story for forward in a way that the the party's now going to have to resolve that, and it's going to become a critical part of what everyone is dealing with. Yeah, and those additional possibilities are one of the reasons people like the Fantasy Flight Star Wars dice system so much and why they spun that out into the Genesis system, which is their uh, generic setting agnostic system using essentially the same dice mechanic. Yeah, the... Like, there's always possibilities like, I failed, but I rolled a bunch of uh, the, like success adjacent symbols on the blue dice so something good happens to me so like i tried to shoot the stormtrooper i missed but it hit a pipe and steam blows everywhere so the stormtroopers can't see us and we can run away now like there's all these great things you can do with the storytelling based on the complexity of the dice system but it's chicken entrails <laughs> like yeah uh, in exchange for that complexity, in exchange for that flexibility, in exchange for the assistance with telling a story and making the outcomes of dice rolls so much more interesting, you have to do all of this addition. You have to learn all of these archaic symbols. That, like, if you're going to play this RPG once, it is kind of a pain. If you're going to play it a bunch of times, you'll get it down eventually. Um, and uh, in a lot of cases, resolving these mechanics requires you to go look at a table and figure out what do I do with all of these symbols? Yeah. What we need is a chicken intro reader. Okay. So I have an offer <laughs> for you. Let's actually talk about uh, glitches in Shadowrun Cause I think this might even be what you're looking for. Okay. Um, I, I do my math. I figure out how many dice I need in my dice pool. I roll them. Um, my hits in my dice pool are my fives and sixes. If I roll a one, it goes towards the possibility of having a glitch. If over half of my dice are rolled as ones, it it causes a glitch. Um, and these can be uh, maybe not so terrible. You know, it could be as bad as like your bionic eye explodes and you're going to have to get that repaired <laughs> or something like this. Ow. Uh, yeah, no, it's terrible. Um yeah, I mean, some some of the offered glitches, you're like, I don't, I don't want to do that to my party. I don't. Uh, <laughs> what if we didn't? How about that? But I, I think it's a pretty easy thing to understand. You're throwing away the idea of an order 
you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, instead to just say, these are, these are just sides of a face. And I, I know these numbers, so I can add how many fives and sixes I get. I can add how many ones and they're, you know, for each die, it could be a hit. It could contribute to the likelihood of a glitch or it could contribute nothing. And now you're rolling your dice and you're adding everything together. The one thing I think this is missing that you do have in, uh, in fantasy flight star Wars is, on that second axis, which is the glitch, the opportunity for something good to happen. I think if you wanted to have that, the, the way to do that might be to say, like, if you roll no ones, and you might even go so far as it's like no ones and twos. Yeah, that would take some fine tuning because, like, as you add more and more dice, the likelihood of you rolling no ones and twos gets less, very, very small. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah but it, nothing good's supposed to happen to you in Shadowrun, though. So <laughs> the better you get, the less likely you are of getting lucky. <laughs> um, yeah, like, the, there's definitely room to experiment with that. Yeah, I think just like you can have uh, systems where uh, critical failures can come at a cost, you should also have critical... I mean, critical successes can come at a cost. Uh, Critical failures should also come with some sort of benefit. Uh, Like, for instance, with Powered by the Apocalypse, uh, one of the ways... One of the few ways that you can gain experience is every time you fail, you gain an experience point because people learn from failure. And... uh, yeah, I think that's a good way of approaching it. And it kind of loose it kind of um what's the word I'm looking for? It kind of uh, lightens the sting of uh failing, which nobody none of us like to fail in our D&D games. It always <laughs> sucks. But if I get experience out of it, I'm like, okay, well, at least I can advance my character so I don't fail as much in the future. Yeah, the silver lining in all of it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and there's also a bouncing there because if you find at the current level of difficulty that you're playing that you're failing quite often, that's going to help you advance that character more quickly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's almost like they did game design. I know. <laughs> it's almost they? like game designers really like Powered by the Apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a reason there are so many good Powered by the Apocalypse hacks. Yeah, it's really easy. It's a really easy system to just make whatever game or concept that you want. So we we talked a little bit about bringing the bringing the uh, cool additional dice things into systems like Shadowrun and stuff. Um, And we've talked about how that's kind of missing from binary success systems. Let's talk about uh, critical success and failure decks. Because this is is like a very popular supplement for games like D&D and Pathfinder. It's, It's a deck of random outcomes which occur when a character rolls a natural 1 or a natural 20. And the intent there is to add some spice to the binary resolution system. Okay, now I want to ask you, am, am I carrying a deck for failure and a deck for success, or are these things shuffled together and we're just going to see what happens on a 1 or a 20? Uh, 20, pers- which was great, a unicorn popped out of nowhere and gored me, and that was terrible. Call it personal preference. Okay. So I haven't actually heard of crit fail decks, but is it, uh, I assume it's similar to crit fail tables, yes? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, yeah, a lot of games have those tables, and this essentially adds that as an extra system. I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah. What is a deck but a folded table? That's fair. That's a valid point. <laughs> Tyler did not like that. He did not like that. <laughs> 
<laughs> that was a look of concern. <laughs> concern and utter confusion and a little bit of contempt. <laughs> I, I hate that, but I can't say you're wrong. <laughs> All right. Uh, huh. Okay. We broke Tyler. <laughs> We're gonna move on, or I'm gonna I'm gonna have to lay down for a minute. Um, <laughs> okay. So Dex. <laughs> so Dex. So Dex. Yeah. So yeah. It's a it's a deck of cards. Um, it has different effects on them. Um, a lot of people are really excited about them because they add that extra spice to the binary system. So like, let's say Bob the fighter is fighting a dragon, rolls a natural twenty. It's like, haha, extra damage, great, kind of anticlimactic. Uh, but your DM has brought a critical, uh, a, a critical success deck to the table, plops it down. You draw a card. Uh, the card says the target creature is stunned for a round. Everyone celebrates. Bob's like, yes, I stunned a dragon. Uh, I'm the big hero. Very next person takes their turn, shoots the dragon, dragon is dead. Didn't matter that it was stunned. Mm, yeah. Wait, that feels like a sad story now. Yes. Yes, it yeah. does. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but I do like the idea of this, though, right? I, and I'm, um, wait, I want to talk about Monopoly for a second. Oh, uh, so, <laughs> chance and community chest, right? Those were the exciting things. So, I finally landed somewhere where nobody's going to charge me rent but I have to draw a card and depending on which deck of cards I'm drawing from, it's probably going to be terrible. Right. And, and this is another opportunity for that where, like you said, crit success. Oh, I deal extra damage. You know, sure. I deal damage all the time. I'm really good at dealing damage. It's kind of my thing. And so maybe I'm not that excited about doubling damage. dice. I mean, I'm always excited, but the idea that there's a yes. And, and now there's anticipation and everybody's looking to see like, what's it going to be? Um, Okay, push that to the side for a second, especially in D&D, where usually with a one, the worst thing that's going to happen is you're going to fail. Um, some DMs do do the optional role of like, oh, well, yeah, you fail and you drop your weapon, so you have to spend your free item interaction next turn picking your weapon back up. Uh, oh, okay, that didn't matter. Thanks for bringing it up. With this, now maybe there is a card that is, you drop your weapon in your fumbling attempt to catch it, you kick it, you know, 15 feet over. Uh, to a random cell, or your weapon breaks, or, you know, you fall prone trying to pick up the weapon. Like, there can be a spice to it that the anticipation of hitting it will make it, like, that much worse. I rolled the one, and now I'm sitting here like, oh, no. (laughs) So, I don't know if you guys have used these tables before. Um, I have... And I will say that they are better in theory than they are in practice uh, because, like, they seem like a cool idea. But when I have used them before, uh, no one really cares about the crit successes that sometimes happen. Like, they, they, like, people will celebrate, but the thing that they hate are the crit fail tables <laughs> because the, some some depending on the crit fail table that you're getting, they can be real bad. Like, oh, you lose an eye or something like that, or um, oh, you're now hobbled and you can only move at half your speed for the rest of the the combat and stuff like that. So, because we're human beings and we tend to focus on the negatives <laughs> more than we focus <laughs> on the positives, 
Every time I have used these tables, they have gotten an overwhelmingly negative reception from my players. Um, so I think if you were going to go with it, maybe only do the crit successes. But the problem there is that you, the crit successes need to go both ways. So when players are also going to be less happy when that dragon crit succeeds on them and now they're stunned. <laughs> So, yeah. yeah. And, and with, you know, combat coming only so often, with us expecting the average combat to last on the order of three rounds, mm-hmm. being stunned for one of those three rounds is incredibly punitive. Yeah. Especially if it wasn't even your fault. Yeah, absolutely. And to to really highlight how much of a problem this, this is, a party of four characters walks into a cave. DM pulls out the critical hit deck, initiative is rolled. 20 kobolds pop out and all start throwing rocks at the party. The kobolds, individually, not a great threat, not going to do a ton of damage because they're just throwing rocks for like one damage, but there's 20 of them. Mm-hmm. Some of them are going to crit, so you're just drawing cards off that table and bad things are happening to the players. Like This encounter, which is very much not a serious threat for this party of four functionally superheroes just became an exercise in frustration because everyone in the party is like one character stunned one character is temporarily and temporarily blinded one character is like has a bleeding injury and is taking continuous damage like the decks are like the the individual effects are very exciting but the problem is they get applied to the players more yeah and they last longer on the players <laughs> so like you you apply an, an effect to an enemy with a critical hit deck, they're dead in a round or two. The player isn't, hopefully. Yeah, and when you have these debilitating effects, they are more severe when they're applied to the player than they are against enemies, unless you're dealing with like a singular entity. But most of the time, you're not. Most of the time, you're dealing with small enemies, and you know, studying them for a round, like you said, isn't going to matter if they just go down the next round. Um, but on the flip side of your example, uh, when you get to higher levels, certain classes attack more often. So... The way statistics work, they're also going to crit fail more often. (laughs) And so essentially you get into the situation where a person who is better, like who has grown and gotten better at their class and like a seasoned veteran is now getting more debilitating attacks and stumbling (laughs) over their sword than they were when they were a novice, which doesn't feel good um, and feels counterintuitive and... But, I mean, that character would also be getting more critical successes, and if the critical successes are really adding an advantage, it should be the case that, like, the good is outweighing the bad? You'd think so, but no. (laughs) Okay, okay. mechanically it should be. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so it's a flat probability curve on a d20. You are equally as likely to roll a natural 1 as you are to roll a natural 20, unless you have advantage or disadvantage, which skews it in either direction. So, yeah, like, very much, it, even if you go with the very simple, like, you roll a natural one, you drop your sword and have to spend your free item action to, pin or, uh, to pick it up, a level 20 fighter, like, you get four attacks, you can take action surge to make, an, like, four more. Uh, let's say you're, you're dual wielding, so you get one more. You're hasted, so you get one more. You've got a total of ten attacks that you're going to make in this turn. It is entirely possible that you will roll a natural one more than once, and be like, well, I guess I'm unarmed now. And I'm blinded. Oh, and <laughs> I also cut off my foot. 
Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> Wait, how, how did I cut off my foot? I dropped my weapon three actions ago. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But like that was ultimately what it came down to was people, again, we're human beings. We remember the negatives more than we remember the positives. And yes, while you are more likely to crit succeed, you're also more likely to crit fail. And that's what I think where people struggle with because they're like, I'm more powerful. I shouldn't be like, completely useless just because i attacked six times in a round um and it like they end up you know screwing themselves over but through no fault of their own just the luck of the dice like i don't think care people mind as much when they just miss on a crit fail they're like well you know you can't hit them all it's worse when missing causes you to get weaker um that's where people start to have a problem okay i i'm gonna make an offer what if some large proportion of our crit fail deck are blanks? Hmm. That's uh, not a bad idea. Um, yeah, I could see arguments for and against that. Like, the argument against that is like, well, then at that point, why bother having the deck? Because every two times you, you get a crit failure, the bad thing is going to happen. Okay, you know? I, I could see it. You know, I uh, what was the system where there was like a common pool and the players could hoard it or the the GM could hoard it? The Fantasy Flight Star Wars. That's the the force points. Okay, cool. Like maybe something like that, where like you actually know the state. Um, maybe an easier analogy, if anybody likes uh, NCAA basketball, is there's actually a turnover pointer, or excuse me, a a, a tie up pointer. So basically, in the NBA, you'd have a jump ball. In NCAA, it's like, okay, well, you got the ball last time, so I get the ball this time. Um, so you, you could even have something like that where, like, you know the next time anyone crit fails, they're going to fail, and, like, the bad thing is actually going to happen, but then you know you get a freebie thereafter. Mm. I, I think I like the idea of, like, the 60% dead deck better because there's a likelihood you might still get, like, three bad effects in a row, but overall the trend is going to be that net this uh this deck system is going to benefit you more than it hurts you yeah i think that's one way that you could go about it i don't think there's a perfect solution like one of the solutions that i saw was that you have a threshold uh as you level up like you're less likely to roll on the table the higher like you can still crit fail but you roll on the table less as you go up like oh you have to roll several dice in advance or something like that um actually you know what Okay, yeah, you got me excited now. This makes <laughs> this makes a lot more sense for Pathfinder too. Yeah, where it actually is the delta between what it took to hit or what it took to save and what you actually rolled. Yeah. So instead, if we didn't, you know, first of all, you have to roll the nat one, and we're not going to consider this unless you roll the nat one. But it has to be a nat one, and it has to be uh, a critical failure. Which, granted, if it was already a failure, the nat one's going to make it a critical failure. Um, but for high-level characters, the nat one might not actually make it a critical failure. You might have succeeded even with a one, and so in which case, in this case, you wouldn't be penalized. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good way of approaching it. Um, yeah, so like if you would have if you would have hit the creature you, with your modifier, even though you rolled a one, I think. Yeah, I think that's a that's a good way to do it, and I think that's why uh, crit fail decks probably and success effects uh, work better for degrees of success systems rather than binary success systems. Yeah, I think that makes sense. All right, I want to I want to ask a question. So we talked a little bit about the two dimensional success 
Um, so FFG offers this this in a way. Shadowrun offers us this in a way. Um, I think the the deck is kind of giving it giving us this. Mm-hmm. Um, do you see a role for that in Five E? Uh, in in my opinion, it is fun to use in a one shot because of the novelty. Like if someone shows up with like, here's a critical hit deck, here's a critical fail deck, we're going to play a goofy one-shot where like no one's invested in their characters or the outcome or whatever. We're just going to have fun with this crazy deck that's been thrown down on the table. But like, I ran a Pathfinder game briefly where we experimented with the crit success, crit fail decks, and um, after like two or three sessions, everyone unanimously agreed, this is bad, we would like this to go away now, please. (laughs) good at least you were able to talk about it yeah (laughs) yeah i think unless you're going for like a hardcore campaign and everybody's clear up at the top that like this is like a hardcore game there's survival mechanics there's lingering injuries you know rests are are few and far between and you're only going to be able to do hit die then yeah if everybody's on board for that cool but for just like a regular casual game i i don't know i don't know if you people get sick of it after a while yeah, it's like when you signed up to play this game you came with two character sheets yeah. <laughs> you know what character you're playing next yeah essentially like uh, i would only use those in games where i'm like don't get too attached to your character because they're more than likely going to die <laughs> yeah. yeah mark borg yes yeah. exactly <laughs> yes perfect yeah so i'll say like my my taste in all of this i really like the shadow run system for dice pool games, and I really like the Pathfinder 2 for uh, single die games. Yeah, I agree. All right, we did it. We did a whole episode. Uh, we we have a question of the week this week. Our question of the week this week comes to us from At One Die Time. Are there any obnoxious character builds you'd love to do, but don't because of group cohesion? For obnoxious, I mean like Devil Sight plus Darkness combo or the summoner who summons the max total. Two things. Uh, Elven accuracy? <laughs> Uh, just, just in general, it's pretty obnoxious, especially if you pair it with a very strong dexterity build or a samurai where you can just give yourself advantage whenever you want to. <laughs> um, and the other one is a luck build that I've wanted to play for a while, but is very obnoxious. Just half lane, lucky feet, bountiful luck, lucky stone and Oracle. <laughs> <laughs> just all the luck. <laughs> very obnoxious. But yeah. I generally don't play wizards. Just, I know what I am. I know where my problems lie. I don't bring wizards to other people's games. As much as I love playing a wizard, I know I have a problem, so I just stay away from it. Yeah, okay, so that's interesting. It's it's not that your wizards are obnoxious. It's just that they break the game. Yeah, which is yeah. obnoxious. Yeah, okay. No, <laughs> Only to the DM. Everybody else is just excited about winning constantly. <laughs> well, yeah. so the problem is it gets to the point where people look at me and say, like, why did we show up today? Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's actually the point where you say, I have caused a problem. I need to never do this again. That's right. Yeah. yeah that was the joke I was going to make. It's like, what we have, uh, we have three bread makers at level zero and mm-hmm. Tyler. Okay. <laughs> Alternatively, uh, you could just play a cleric and do everything for your party. <laughs> uh, I, I don't have as much of a, cler- a problem with clerics. Fair enough. Yet. Oh, God, that's <laughs> ungominous. Uh, so I, I read this 100% as, like, mechanically obnoxious. Yeah. And yeah. I, 
uh, honestly, I, I don't have anything um, that, that I can offer. As far as a general obnoxious character, uh, I I enjoy being the face. And so if I played a character that was traditionally the face of the party, uh, I would worry that I would try to like steal too much in conversations. It's something that like, even in my regular games, I'm always trying to be conscious of like, does it actually make sense that my character would be the one speaking up in this moment? Um, which is not classically obnoxious, but yeah, everybody deserves a chance to, you know, actually play the game. Yeah, exactly. All hail the leisure Illuminati. I'm Randall James. You can find me at amateurjack.com and on Twitter and Instagram at Jack Amateur. I'm Tyler Campshaw. You'll find me at rpgbot.net, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at rpgbotdotnet. Uh, uh, we have a new subreddit, r slash rpgbot.net, same spelling as uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and patreon.com slash rpgbot. And I'm Ash Eli. You can follow me on Twitter at Graven Ashes. If you've enjoyed the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcast and rate us on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. It's a quick, free way to support the podcast and helps us to reach new listeners. You can find links in the show notes. You'll find affiliate links for source books and other materials linked in the show notes, as well as on rpgbot.net. Following these links helps us to make this show happen every week. If your question should be the question of the week next week, please email podcast at rpgbot.net or message us on Twitter at rpgbotdotnet. Please also consider supporting us on Patreon, where you'll find ad-free podcast episodes, early access to RPGBot.content, polls for future content, and access to the RPGBot.discord. You can find us at patreon.com slash RPGBot. I think we were successful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> we broke Tyler. I would call that a success. Folded <laughs> <laughs> tables. <laughs>